In this episode, we are going to be talking about starting a new church and reviving a dead one and the what's and the how's, and that's coming at you right now. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. His kingdom's sure increase. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, here we are picking up. We The last episode, we were talking about a lot of things that, you know, if we just left it there, it almost might seem like a little bit of despair. Yeah. And doom. Although I think in all fairness, <laughs> in the midst of all that, that gloom and doom, in some respect, <laughs> there is hope. There is and hope. Amen. We're going to start off on a very hopeful note here. So we said the heart of God is really what we need to be concerned about, you know, in that if it does God want to plant new churches, does he want to revive dead ones, no matter how impossible it looks. But at this, this time now, we want to talk about a vision. You know, the scripture says without a vision, the people perish. perish, right? And that's what it is. If there's nobody that that has like the eyes of a seer that can say, this is the heart of God. This is what he wants to do. I can see it up there. It's so real. I can even touch it and taste it and then work towards that and just build everything else around it to aim toward that end. If there's if there's nobody like that, um, we lose out. I, I, I did read a book by a, a guy, uh, Simon Sinek, not a Christian guy. It was called Why? He went through all these different CEOs of different companies and he he pointed out the successful ones and then the ones that were successful one time and then tanked oh, and he was wow. trying to figure out what happened. He said the ones that were successful knew why they existed. Oh wow. The ones that lost their why, they ended up not having any aim towards what they were doing and it all fizzled out. Same goes for the work of God. Well, you look at it historically, there have been regions of the world that used to be Christian or more Christian than they are today. It's been said that North Africa in the early years of the church, the early centuries, was the, a bastion of Christianity. Uh, but then they got cold in their souls. They lost their vision. And when Islam came to be, I guess about the 7th century or so, it came there and it found a very weak Christianity. Look at Western Europe today. Western Europe has been blessed by God in the past, maybe more so than any other region, but they lost their vision. And uh, we see what's happening in Western Europe today. Amen. Yeah, well... Um, I think as we look at this idea of vision, there has to be a heartfelt conviction, you know, of what God wants. Right. And even though what God wants is doesn't look like it's happening right now, the next thought too is what can be. This is what God right. wants and what are the possibilities. You had a few um illustrations that you, you had put in here that you want to talk right. about. Well, I think if you look at the big picture, it can be overwhelming. But if you bring the picture down to where we are right now into our local church, our area, you know, you can start doing that. And as one person does that, uh, it can catch fire. I think about a story I read in one of Ravenhill's books where he said that, you know, the town that he grew up in in Leeds, England in the 1920s, there was a pastor, not of his group, but the pastor was not an educated man, but he was a good man. He was a praying man. He was a fasting man. And he would gather around him men in that church, maybe saved by his own ministry, who were laboring men. They had hard jobs, but they would gather together a few nights a week and they would pray. They were dissatisfied with the amount of unsafe people around about them, and they would do that, and God would bless, and the ministry would grow, and they had a lot of opposition within the churches. But eventually, evangelists came in around 1927 when Ravenhill was about 20, and uh, he said hundreds of people came to the Lord in uh, that particular crusade. 
Wow. And I thought to myself, you know, that's what we need. And that used to be more common. It, it, Raven Hill himself said that the old Salvation Army uh, used to have a half night of prayer for every core, every church, you know, just gathering souls. And thank God for the ladies <clears throat> and thank God for the praying ladies. But, you know, where are the men? Yeah, You know, the, the pastors that want to pray, they're not as many as there should be, but where are the men? Where are the, the Jonathans? Where are the armor bearers that will come beside the pastor and, and come to church and, and just pray? Maybe even just one night a week, but, you know, where are they that will pray two nights a week with the pastor to sacrifice some, some time at home or sacrifice some sleep? to just say, Lord, things are not as they should be, but by the grace of God, we're going to seek God till God intervenes. Now, it's interesting because this is all under the context of a vision of what God wants and what could be. So you would say that these men were dissatisfied because they knew that there was something better and they knew that there was possibilities that they weren't yet experiencing. So by that conviction... They laid themselves out in prayer. Well, yeah, one of with, my with assurance. Absolutely, one of my illustrations here about Spurgeon, and you know what, I, I love Spurgeon. And sometimes when Spurgeon would go on his uh, five point Calvinist to kick, I just <laughs> go, go. But I, I do believe he was a good, godly man. Yes. But the story is told that you know a visitor came to the church and uh, he took him downstairs to the basement of the church and he said, "You want to see I've what heats that. my church?" He said, "Well, sure." He opened up a door and there are a few hundred men praying there. Yeah, you know, and to his credit, Spurgeon was able to inspire that in his his men in particular that there was something more, and uh, they went for it. Yeah, I I read something too about Spurgeon where he said in the place of prayer, he said oftentimes he'd bring his family to tears with his intimacy with God as they would have wow. their family devotion. Wow. So the man had a prayer life himself. Um, <clears throat> also, uh, I I like some of the times some of the things he said. And I may, have, may not have this verbatim, but he said something to the effect of, he goes, I can't stand these these people that pray like, you know, they would go to the bank and they went there to get money. And instead of going in there and, and getting their money and, and making the transaction, they stand and loaf about at the teller's desk for a long, long time. He said, when I go to God, he said, I've got business to do. Wow. I go there. Wow. I present to him all the things that need to happen. <laughs> I let him talk with me and then I go. And the thing was, it, it was said of Spurgeon that, that was a habit of his life. So it wasn't just like he he just prayed 45 minutes in the morning and that was it. Right. He did that. And then something happened later in the day and that was like, boom, bombard heaven again. Seek the Lord. And, and do it. Yeah. That's good. Good illustration. So a heartfelt conviction of what God wants and what can be. You had here also... Uh, something about the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, not, not even the choir, the uh, the or church it's, it's itself. Her, yeah. You know, I, I've read uh, Jim Cimbala's books, at least most of them, and uh, you, you listen to his testimony, you understand where he's coming from. You know, he went up there, and it was a, well, I guess he was from that area, but he went to that church, a struggling church, and he was a person that just felt like our back's against the wall, we need to seek the Lord, and he built that church from all indications on prayer. Wow. And, uh, you know, he became somewhat famous across the United States in <clears throat> Christian circles because of that. Yeah. And uh, I think God has honored him. You know, it may not be, you know, a total agreement, every little jot and tittle, but I, I thank God for him. I think he's a good man. And I think that emphasis is a, a blessing. And I think God has used him to to reach out into the different uh, denominations and groups in the evangelical movements to, to get us back to the place of prayer. Amen. Amen. And, you know, I, I guess I, I would say to my own in my own life too. I mean, Dave and I we live probably about I don't know it's about a fifty minute drive or so yeah, in a car, hard. 
So we had, you know, for a while tried to be getting together each week and praying. And then of course, you know, schedules happen. There's necessities of, you know, responsibilities. I've got to work. I got to take care of my family. So we try to still, you know, make things work like that. Um, I just have to be honest with you, brother. I, I see that, that prayer is the the way that we need to move forward. And that's where we're going to move the hands of God, essentially. Um, but there has been a lot of times where I'm trying to pray and seek God. And I mean, quite frankly, I can't do that inside of my ho- house. It almost, you know, I, I try to get up earlier than everybody else. Yeah. So it's quiet and I don't have to have other things going on. But I find that the place that I most get in touch with God is if I was just to leave my house and go walk somewhere out in the woods somewhere, and maybe I'll be there for a couple hours or whatever. And it's not always me, you know, praying out. Sometimes it's me praying out. And then other times I just feel like I'm listening or I'm just kind of meditating on some things for a little bit. You got to. And I, I find that to be helpful, but I, I do feel Lord, uh, that sense of like, you know, Lord, I, I just, I don't even know how to, I don't know how to pray this to pass. And so maybe, I don't know if you've got some thoughts on that. Well, I I think that, you know, when you are isolated, you're alone, you're a small church, and maybe there isn't the kind of blessing from the Lord that you like to to have, or, you know, you may look at the larger church where things are happening and there's a bunch of spiritual people there. It can be overwhelming, but I think, you know, as we're talking maybe to pastors of small churches or starting church works, you've got to keep yourself alive. Yeah. You've got to find out ways to revive your spirit. You've got to know what books to go to, 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 to stir you up. You've got to know, you know, how long you can go without praying with somebody else. You've got to find buddies to pray with. We've talked about this before, but you've got to keep yourself alive. You've got to get an atmosphere. And I've never been in a real revival atmosphere. I don't know that anybody in our nation has really seen real revival. It's been a, it's been a long time. But uh, when I go to a good service, a revival meeting or a convention or camp meeting or something, I feel stirred up on the inside. Yep, yep. And I've read where they say that when there was a revival, say Wales in 1904, <clears throat> 1905, or Asbury College, 1950, 1970, or the Hebrides with Duncan Campbell in the late 40s, uh, there's a blessing there and there's a strength that, that people don't have spiritually when times are more dry. Yeah. So we've got to find a way in these dry times to, to stay alive. Uh, I did. Somebody told me that, um, man, I'm trying to think it, it was somebody that, uh, they, I think it was a pastor. He, he would feel like he would get, he'd start running out of gas. Mm. And what he would do was he would just go get a hotel room somewhere mm. for a night and, you know, spend the time he would pray for a little while till he ran out of gas. If he ran out of gas, he would fall asleep for a little while, wow. you know, because he'd just been burnt out. And then when he woke up, he might start reading his Bible again and pray. And uh, I think I, it was, I think it was Ari Tori. He okay. would have times where he said, I think it, it was at least once a year where he would go for two weeks alone, wow. camping in the middle of the woods with no one else, just he wow. and his Bible and God, and you know, get a, a fresh anointing get a fresh vision from God right, as to what, whatever he needed, you know, to do even too. And, um, you know, I, I think, I don't know how all that works specifically in our particular day, but we need to get something of that back. And I, I'm just being frank with you. I, uh, I've taken a liking more to, um, stuff like bushcrafting or whatever. Um, and bushcrafting is just like, you know, camping, like having right. very little and going out and roughing it. Right. Right. That's good. And I've, I've thought to myself, you know, I don't have a lot of money. I can't buy a property somewhere else, but I thought I can go build some little shanty out in the woods and spend a day right. or two out there and seek God. You got to do what you got to do. You know, 
Well, then, you mentioned Tory and and uh, Tory when he was pastor, I believe Moody Church. This is probably a hundred years ago now, maybe a little more than a hundred years ago. They had a Saturday night prayer meeting, and uh, you know they would do that, and he would tell testimonies in his books about how God would meet with them and just come upon them and revive them, even draw sinners in, and people would get saved at the prayer meetings. Now, that's like a foreign language to us. We don't yeah. we don't see anything like that. We talked about that in different episodes with the culture and everything, but you've got to bind together. I know my Christian life, when I found people to pray with, um, it's done wonders for me, and Thank we've got to do it. Yeah, God help us. Give us a vision. One of the things that stirred me up a lot is the Methodist Church um, I had, well, I think it was John Wesley. His persuasion was that, uh, the Methodist church was raised up to spread scriptural holiness across the globe. Wow. That's a lofty vision. <laughs> um, you know, and anybody could say something like that, but he said it and it happened. It happened. Yeah. That's totally different. When I look at, at Methodism and I can't remember where I had all got these figures from, I was reading in a couple different books, but it said in 1791, there were 56,000 members of the Methodist Church in Great Britain. Then go to 1851, there was 1,463,000 members. 60 years time, it went from 50,000 to 1.5 million about. Now, whether or not all these people were converted is completely besides the point. Um, That's what we want, obviously. But it goes to show you that this man had vision, and that vision was so strong it carried. Now, sadly, the Methodist Church of our day is so far from its mooring so we're not countenancing the stuff that's going on there but when we go back to the roots the man had a god-given vision and not only did that vision get born out in his heart but he was able to pass that on to people around him that were hungry for god and then they picked the torch up and carried it all over the place but you know what's interesting about that within 10 12 years after wesley's death i think was 1791 there arose a situation where uh, an American preacher, Methodist preacher, Lorenzo Dow, came to Britain, had uh, the American innovation of a camp meeting, tried to introduce it to Britain, and some of the lower uh, English Methodist preachers loved it, and they were just on fire for the camp meetings. The upper echelons of the uh, the Methodist church was against it. They eventually oh kicked out these two guys for no reason. This is within 15 years <clears throat> of Wesley's death. They went out and they started the Primitive Methodist Church, okay. which God blessed tremendously. And what's interesting is God blessed the Primitive Methodist Church. It kind of embarrassed the original Methodist Church, and they I don't know if they ever had you know an apology or whatever it was, but they got their act together because they were losing that spirit of evangelism, and they were spurred on by the Primitive Methodist Church, and they got their act together, and God blessed them too. So I don't know if the split was in the perfect will of God like Israel and Judah or, or however that was supposed to play <laughs> out, but God used that yeah. and got the Methodist Church back on track for a number of decades. It's, it's actually that's got me quite interested. There's a primitive Methodist church about 15 minutes from Some here. Some of those converts came over here. They were coal miners and stuff. A lot of the, the Welsh and different people came over here. So in northeastern PA, there are primitive Methodist churches here. Okay, so here we find a man of vision in the Methodism, and uh, uh, Lorenzo Dow and uh, what was the other man you said? Well, he was the American, but it was, I think it was William Clowes and Hugh Bourne were the early primitive okay. Methodist guys that got that going. So here. A vision, God, a God heaven sent vision born in the heart of John Wesley. He, he, he spreads it out with conviction and acts on it. That, that spreads like fire throughout Britain. 
and then ends up spilling over the pond into America. Yeah. And then it got so hot in, uh, over in America, they come back and try and introduce some things back in Britain. That tries to get snuffed out, and the vision doesn't die. Where it keeps on going. Spreads Thanks. out. God spreads it out in different groups. The other One of the other ones that's really been a blessing to me, <clears throat> I do want to make a caveat here. I say this not to tear down a man, but I say this because I know some people, you'll listen to this, and then you'll point out all the problems of certain things. There are problems throughout every facet of church right. history right. with every <laughs> different type of person. And probably there'll be problems that people notice about me that I am completely blind to. Problems with Dave that he's completely blind Many. to. We're trying to walk with God, okay? <laughs> right. Um, Salvation Army, um, I, I would say there was problems in my my estimation almost kind of a, a nepotistic thing that uh, it's, is a blight it's, it on, seems to be there. on there. It seems just like <clears throat> when Catherine Booth died, and I'm not saying William Booth Baxter, but it does seem like she was a stabilizing influence. Okay. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. So I do want to acknowledge that's happening. I don't agree with that. Um, the other factor with the Salvation Army um, that has come up into my mind too is they didn't take uh, communion or whatever. They didn't baptize people either, no, did they? they? No. I don't even understand why they did that. But you have to reckon with the fact that God used that group of people in spite of it. And it started once again with a man with a heaven-sent vision and a conviction of what was possible if we were to surrender everything over to God and follow hard after him. Ten years after William Booth left the uh, established church to train evangelists in England, it said the Booths had 1,000 volunteers called the Christian Mission. Okay. That Now that, in and of itself, brother, that would bless me. I'd be like, woohoo! <laughs> Mega church! God's working! Praise the Lord! That's you know? enough for me. Yeah. I can read... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but you understand, <laughs> right, you that understand. would be a blessing That'd in the days in which today, we're living right, right now. Right. And you know what? We say in the days in which we're living, England wasn't doing so well yeah, either. It was pretty dark. But then... After, so between 1885 and 18, or excuse me, 1881 and 1885, there was 250,000 people converted wow. under the ministry of the Salvation Army. Isn't that incredible? So here- it shook the world. One man has a vision. I mean, and I, it was a joint thing with his wife. They, they both kind of caught the heavenly yeah. fire, so to speak. They acted on it in faith. And it was a, it was a guy, you, you, you told me about, um, James White. He said- you know, everybody knows George Mueller as the the apostle of faith okay. to some respect. He said that he believed that um, William Booth was more a man of faith than George Mueller. Isn't that interesting? I had to sit back and think wow. about that. But that's powerful. When you think about the extent of the Salvation Army and what had happened, that's not an unfounded statement. Well, you know, the Bible talks about gift of faith and some of the mm -hmm. old evangelists, and I, I know that uh, maybe the emphasis on different gifts is abused in some ways, but, you know, they're still in there. And the old evangelists were talking about the gift of faith, and uh, it would seem like William Booth had a gift of faith for souls. Yeah, and God help us. It's got a little bit of that's got to rub off. I and I don't know how the, I don't know the mechanics of how that works. Right. Except like you've said so often, you got to steep yourself in those books. You know, and sometimes I've been blessed. I found podcasts at times where there's people that know an awful lot about a an individual, about a movement. Okay. And maybe I don't agree with them about everything. Right. But they but they've done so much research that pulls in so much, and I've listened to it, and that's even helped me because then I found other books and I thought, oh, he that's sourced good. this or that. That's cool. And that's helped me to steep into some things more to kind of get a gauge on what happened. But that's awesome. So here we find, you know, there's examples. You know, my brother brought up about a bunch of the things, movements, you know, the Methodist movements and the Salvation Army that, uh, you know, when, when people have that vision and that conviction, God can do something. 
and I think it was, was it D.L. Moody? No, actually, I think this was William Booth, where somebody said, what's the secret of your power? And he pointed back, he said, back, I don't know, whatever date it was, right. Jesus Christ got all without reserve of William Booth. Right. That's the secret of my And, and you the know, power. the thing is, we believe that, that these godly people, they lived in victory, God gave them victory over sin, but they're still flawed, yeah. cracked vessels. And I think you can love God with all of your heart, and God wants us to do that and commands us to do that, but people can have errors in their head that probably hinder them or whatever, but God still uses them because their heart's all there. Yeah, and I mean— we, we realize that Christianity is a heartfelt religion. It's real, right? right? And Jesus oftentimes cut through all the fluff right to the heart because out of the heart flows all these evil and yeah. wicked things. But it doesn't it doesn't hurt us that when our heart is in the in the right place, we need to get our heads trained as well. And it is important. There's no doubt. I don't want to minimize that. And there's a, a limit to how far you can go with that. But within that 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 range of evangelical conservative Christianity, there have been people that have differed on some doctrinal things, and God has used different groups. Yeah, amen. And you know what? I think we get a fuller, rounder picture of God about his church and what he wants to do when you're not afraid to step outside the camp you belong to. Yeah. When I say the camp, the denomination, the doctrinal persuasion, whatever you want to call it. We shouldn't be afraid to be reading other people's stuff and recognizing the power of God in people that maybe I don't fully agree with. Because yeah. the thing is, we can get to a place, and I'm not advocating you throw away what God has helped you with and what you've learned and where you stand right now. But oftentimes, if we're not careful, we get so blind and narrow yeah. because we think God's got to work just like this. When history proves that God doesn't work just like this all the time, there is a myriad of ways God's not limited. And and I think it's healthy for us. Not, we're not talking about chaffy garbage. We're talking about where God has really reached down, helped himself to people's lives, birthed a vision in people, and has changed cities, towns, nations as a result. I was thinking in the 1920s in uh, Northern Ireland, there was an evangelist that God raised up named Billy Nicholson. And mm -hmm. Billy Nicholson offended a lot of church people, but he had been a rough sailor before his conversion, and God saved him and, and filled him with the Spirit of God. I believe his denomination was Presbyterian, but he was a deeper life man all the way, and he was a praying man. But they said he would just, he would cross some lines that offended church people, but they say that without the ministry of Billy Nicholson in Northern Ireland, they probably would have had a revolution. And it's been estimated that in that decade of the 1920s, <coughs> through his meetings, 100,000 people came to Christ, and it changed the whole atmosphere of that society. And he's somebody that you really, you just don't want to imitate because he was outside the box. Yeah. We're not advocating you be weird for weird sake, right. but the thing right. is, you know, you've got, you've got to surrender yourself wholly to God and then let God use you. Right. That's he didn't good, make brother. he didn't make a mistake when he made a quirky person. <laughs> Thank God. It is to it is to the glory of God and the complete you know, I don't know what to say, the embarrassment of people because we think <laughs> who in the world is this guy, you know? And yet God says he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Amen. And so may God help us. Um I do want to just say these are some books I found that have been helpful, but books as we're talking about vision uh to read for practicality um, this one, John Wesley, uh, John Wesley's class meeting, a model for making disciples. 
Um, I'm not, I can't remember all the guy's conclusions in the end of the book. And so I don't know as if I agree with every, whatever applications he made, but this is an awesome book uh, of where the guy kind of pulls together how Wesley came uh, about to these ideas of class meetings, the effect that they had, how it spread the the fire, the work of God wow. throughout people's hearts. Amen. Same thing with the radical Wesley, uh, which by the way, soon enough, there will be an audio version of this. I have been um, okayed to, uh, I've recorded this and now I've got to go through the Amen. editing process. Good deal. So you'll be able to, if you're not a reader, listen to it. That'll be coming up. Amen. The Radical Wesley by Howard Snyder. No excuse now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then <clears throat> these two books, The Rise and Fall of Movements by Steve Addison, A Roadmap for Leaders. And it goes through different people. Uh, one of the guys was, uh, oh, what's that? St. Francis of Assisi. And it kind of goes through how God birds visions in people, all the troubles and difficulties that they end up facing and helping you to get some sort of a roadmap that if God's birthing some sort of a vision in you, you don't feel like you're kind of stuck off to the side somewhere and have nowhere to go. Um, you can say, well, God's worked like this in history before, found that book to be helpful. And then pioneering movements uh, by the same guy, Steve Addison leadership that multiplies disciples and churches. And he does some case studies throughout different places in the world where movements have started out of the result of people just Amen. getting serious with God and, you know, going, moving. Well, I think one of the reasons we are doing this podcast is, you know, the Bible talks about cast thy bread upon the waters. Yeah. We are just doing our best. You know, we may never see the vast majority of people that watch this, but we want to do our best to help point you back to things that are legitimate, things that God used. They may not have agreed in every little detail, but they were blessed of God. They were yes. conservative, orthodox, evangelical Christians. And, uh, you know, looking at our nation right now, we need revival. And if in some small way my brother and I can help encourage you and uh, instill yeah. a love for, for the classics and revival-type yeah, yeah. literature and encourage you to seek God, you know, that's a blessing to us. Yeah, amen. And, you know, that's been one thing that, that his, I guess, vision, I, I do feel like God has given me a vision for, you know, what he's called me to do. Right. I, I think every pastor has some sort of sense of that. Otherwise, you your work would could never be sustained. There's too much discouragement if you don't have the vision. However, the thing that has really been something that's a huge desire of my heart there, some people go so far as to to go to the end that the traditional church, American Western church that we understand, is so apostate. Forget it. There's nothing good that's come of it. Right. I I just want to say for anybody who's listening to that, there may be parts of that that I can see and agree with, but at large, I would disagree disagree with throwing off the traditional American Western church because it's still the bride of Christ, and there are still people in there whom God is using and doing His work. I believe that there as well as that the the Western American church can't completely throw off that there are other kind of movements and things that are happening that don't always fit into that box either. And um, we need to realize it's both ends. Somebody told me uh, the church lives when the two rails of the traditional church and the missional church are running parallel. Where wow. one of those drops out, the other one suffers. So it's like, we don't know what to do with this missional kind of a church over here. The, the established church needs the missional church. The, the thing is, the missional church needs the established one because they both have things the other one doesn't, and they balance each other out. We live in a generation <clears throat> that doesn't appreciate history. And I know sometimes people, they'll just look to the past, and they'll pine for the past, and they're not 
interested in any innovations, but we need history. We need the past. We need the traditions. We're not just Lone Rangers out there coming up with our own version of Christianity. I think that's one of the problems today. People know there's a problem with the evangelical churches across the board. They go on the internet and they find some little cultic group that says you got to do this <clears> or this, that, or a special name for Jesus. you got to worship on Saturday or yeah, all yeah. these things out there, and they're not looking to the, to the past to see what God has blessed. And I know we keep going back to this, but we have seen revival in, in North America and Western Europe, and, and we're turning our back on the principles that God has blessed again, again, again. And if we can just help us all to go back to those principles, it's an important thing. And yet you can't, you can't approve, or excuse me, you can't improve on the very things that God has prescribed throughout yeah, the Bible. Absolutely. I mean, what, what can you do? Are you wiser than God? That's essentially where it boils down to. Yeah. My heart of hearts though is brother is, I, I just want to find a group of people and be a part of a group of people that don't just fill the pews of churches and salve their conscience. Right. I want to be a part of a group of people, um, whether it's a very small little cluster that happens or a larger group, doesn't really matter to me. I just want to be a part of this where people love God with all their hearts. They're seeking after God. They're pressing hard and seeking after God. They love the Bible. They want to dig into the Bible. They want to know what God says, what he's revealed about himself. They want to know doctrine. They want to know all these parts. They're not satisfied to just be spoon-fed things and then say, well, that's just what my pastor said. Now, granted, the pastor does teach, and right. we need to listen yeah, to that because that's God's appointed means. But what I mean to say is when you have no heart personally to be digging into the Bible where, like you, you had said at one point, you know, God gives me that little nugget, that that little blessing from my Amen. morning time where I spend with God and reading the word, something that I can chew on throughout the day that blesses and feeds my soul. When you don't have that, when we don't have that that desire to really, like, like you're saying, reading these old books and steeping ourselves in an that. appetite. Yeah. It, it's an appetite. It's so deadening and disheartening. Well, if you're, if you're just, you know, um, I say just, if you're, if you're a lay person, you don't have a call to any sort of, um, you know, evangelistic work, mission work or pastor, whatever. It's discouraging to your pastor when you don't have this type of a heart. It's discouraging to them because that's what they're laboring for. And you don't have any idea how often your pastor, and maybe, you know, there may be exceptions where your pastor really doesn't have any depth with God. I'm not talking about that situation, but you don't, a real pastor, you have no idea how much that pastor prays, fasts, loses sleep, is stressed over the, the, the troubles of the churches and the things that weigh him down that he's got to deal with. You have no idea what, what the pastor has to deal with there. Well, I was thinking when we first went to our church in Berwick, Pennsylvania, um, you know, is going through some situations and issues, and we are a conservative church, and just sometimes in bringing out different principles, you don't know how to relate to people. But one of the things I felt like the Lord taught me was we, our town back in the 1990s was nationally known for its football team, its high school football team. Tremendous football team won the Pennsylvania State football title several years, was actually national champion one year. And uh, the people would tell me what the fans would do 
in order to to go to a game in November. It may be snowing. It was cold. They stood out there for three hours. Uh, The boys were not allowed to go to the Bloomsburg Fair, which is a big deal. You know, the coach was like a a drill sergeant. He had almost absolute control over their lives. (laughs) It was just, but it was a privilege to be part of that organization, to be on that team. You know, there was something that was built there. And it wasn't all about all the do's and don'ts. And that's what I said to the people. I said, but it was about the heart. It was about the heart. You know, they, the, the people, the boys on the team, they would do everything to put the team first. Their heart was in it, you know, and they were getting out of it the fact that, you know, I'm a state champion, you know, when I'm an old man at 30 or whatever, I can look back on, on that accomplishment. And the fans would drive all over the state in all sorts of weather to support the boys at the ball game. And I said to them, our church people, I said, that's what God wants. Yeah. You know, there, there are different things. There are issues. There, there are <clears throat> things in life that God's going to deal with you if he has your heart. But he wants your heart. And if he gets your heart, he's going to be able to lead you into different things. Amen. And, you know, I guess here here we've been talking about the uh, revi- starting new churches, reviving dead ones, the, the what's and the how's. Well, we, we talked about, I think, where we start is the vision. Yeah. The vision is the the biggest thing, the, the what and the how. If That's where we've got to start. The foundation. The I foundation guess. of yeah. it, yeah. Vision is is where, is where, well, it's like we said already before, without a vision, the people perish. If you don't have that, you can't build anything because you don't know where you're going. Right. If this video has been a blessing and a help to you thus far, then please subscribe so that you get all of the updates of our videos, smash the like button, share with your friends, and comment below and start a dialogue. Now let's get back to the video. The next point we want to deal with here is spiritually qualified and anointed people. Once you've got the vision, now who's going to carry this vision out? So maybe you want to start this one off, brother. Well, I'll give a personal testimony. When I was a young Christian, I actually got saved at secular college, and uh, we had uh, two groups of people um, just be honest with you, I don't want to offend anybody, but some are more Baptist, some are more charismatic. And uh, the charismatics would talk about, you know, speaking in tongues and, and being filled with the Spirit, and the Baptists would say, no, you get everything when you're saved. And I didn't know which side was right, but in the providence of God, he brought in, into my life, on my path, old books that talked about different people of different denominations that recognized their need after they were soundly converted to be filled with the Spirit of God. And uh, one of the books that the Lord put in my path was a book called They Found the Secret by V. Raymond Edmond, who was the president of Wheaton College. He was in the old Christian Missionary Alliance, and he had the testimonies of people like John Praying High, D.L. Moody, uh, Charles G. Finney, uh, Samuel Logan Brangle, where they found this, this filling of the Spirit after conversion. And, uh, you know, God used that in my life in a powerful way. I won't get into all the testimony now, but that is the need of the hour. And uh, I'm not throwing, you know, negativity towards the two groups that I mentioned. I think they're good people in, in both groups. I thank God for the good people in the groups. But there is something <clears throat> in what I read that just stirred my heart that I need to be filled with the Spirit. I need to be, uh, I need a baptism of holiness. I need a baptism of power. I need to maintain fresh oil in my soul so that I can go out there and, and win souls for the Lord. And uh, that we need that anointing. Yes. And I do want to tell you, when we speak about this, there are 
there's a lot of people that use the same words and they don't mean the same thing that we mean right here. Right. So we want to we want to put that out as a caveat, because here's the thing. People say, oh, the anointing was on such and such a person or situation, and they're totally off base from the Bible. If that happens and it's it's kind of I'm sad to say this um, and, and this is anyways, flaky, charismatic situation can be. You know, the anointing ends up being, you're barking like a dog, right. you're speaking in gibberish, you're, I, I mean, and the, the list goes on and on, you're, you're dancing over somebody on the floor, and uh, <laughs> it's, I saw yeah. this post, it was, uh, I think the guy's name on Twitter is called Lloyd Legalist, and he, he said, <laughs> the caption was, my favorite part is always in the Charlie Brown Christmas when they break out in song and dance. And it showed a oh, flaky, no. charismatic situation where right. people were kind of just, you know, shaking, dancing, and hitting their tambourines and saying the spirit fell on them. We don't mean that at all. Right. If you read the Bible, it is the most sanest book you can find. It is a sobering book. When you find Paul the Apostle saying he's filled with the Spirit, when you find Stephen the martyr when he was filled with the Spirit of God and faith, Barnabas filled with the Spirit, you don't find this flaky weirdness. And that's why I like what you said. I need a baptism of holiness. I need a baptism of power. Right. And we're talking about what you find there in the scripture, not this flaky stuff. So I, I need to put that as a caveat. And we may deal, I think we're going to do a Probably whole episode so. on the deeper. So. It's got to be ethical. Life. Yeah, and, ethical. And, and the thing is, we're not <clears> against emotions. I like to be in a good service, and my brother does too, where people are praising the Lord and, and all of that. But you just find these two wings in the American church where it's very just textual with no spirit, and then you're over here. It's all emotion with very little scripture and no rational thought. So that we're just saying that... The, the, the place where God has blessed, and I like to read Tozer, and Tozer talked about this because he saw this happening in his day, you know, that that spiritual freshness, that anointing, that depth in God, where you don't lose your mind and you're, you're still sane, that's where God wants us to be. Amen. And so if we're going, if we're going to get a vision of what can be and what God wants, we need these spiritually qualified and anointed people that have gone to their own funeral Yes. and have been filled with the Spirit of God and are under God's direction and control, not like a robot, but they've surrendered over right. to him and said, I'll do what you want and you're Lord. And so there are imitations of that too. And I know you had put here in these notes that um, it's not talent primarily. Yeah. Some people mistake the anointing for somebody who's a gifted expositor. And there are people that are very good at scholarly work and going through all these things and expositing the Bible well, but the anointing, and other people have called it that unction, yeah. it's it's that something of the Spirit of God that breathes life into what's being said, like a barbed arrow that can fasten into the heart and cannot be easily pulled out. There's something of heaven mixed in it. One of the best testimonies that I think backs this up is a testimony of Duncan Campbell. Duncan Campbell was a man of God. He's from um, Scotland, and uh, he was a soldier in World War One for the for the British. And uh, he was wounded in a battle, and uh, he was a saved man. He gotten saved before he went to the service, and he was wounded severely. He was on the ground, and if I remember the story correctly, they had had a charge. They actually still used horses, at least up until a certain point in World War One. And going on the charge, a horse had just kicked him a little bit. He's on the ground, and he let out a groan. And when they were 
coming back from the charge, the fella who was on the horse remembered that, stopped, picked up Duncan Campbell, threw him on the back of the horse, maybe got some other guys to do it, and carried him back. Otherwise, he probably would have died. But he was he was groaning before God, and he just felt like he was dying. And he began to pray a prayer of an old Presbyterian preacher. I think it was Machaney. He said, Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. Wow. Lord, make yeah. me as holy as I've a saved that. sinner can be. And <clears throat> while he's in that hospital, you know, doesn't know if he's going to live or die, the Spirit of God came upon him, filled him, and he began quoting uh, one of the hymns, or excuse me, one of the Psalms. He started quoting one of the Psalms, and he said the Spirit of God swept through there. And I think, if I remember this correctly, he didn't even do it in English. He was a Gaelic speaker as his primary language, and there were a bunch of Canadian soldiers in that hospital unit who only spoke English, and even though he was speaking a different language, they didn't understand it, but they felt the presence of God. Yeah. And a bunch of them got saved. When he got healed, he went back to Scotland, and after the war, he was used mightily of God in a revival movement. Yeah. Because he had that that sanctifying fullness of the Spirit. He, he prayed it in a Presbyterian way, save me, or make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. But God saw the heart. God filled him sent him out in revival. Now, the, the sad thing is for years after that, he got to a point where he got cold in his soul, but then God revived him again, came to him, filled him again, and he was mightily used in the Hebrides revival. Praise God. You really can't argue with that. And no. that, that's what we're saying. If you look at church history, the people God has used are the people that believe in this filling of God and they learn to walk in it. And I, you had mentioned uh, Billy Nicholson earlier. Billy Nicholson, yeah, same thing. Same, same thing. Uh, it was said he went to, I believe he went to a deeper life convention, something like that. Yeah. Then he went out on the ocean shore and was praying back and forth saying, Lord, I need what was talked that about in fullness. there. And so he made a full consecration. He's already been saved, by the way. Right. But he realized there is something not quite right inside my soul, and I'm displeased with what's happening here. And so he makes a full consecration lays out everything from time into eternity in the, in the hands of God, his own inner person, everything. I will do and be whatever you want me to be. And he felt at peace with his soul. He had the witness of his own spirit that he was genuinely saying what he was yeah. in and he meant it. You know, there's times where we can say things, not mean it. He didn't have that problem. He knew he meant it. He left there going, marching back to his house. And I think it was at nighttime. Yeah. As he went, there's a Salvation Army uh, meeting going on there and he said one of the people there was a halfwit and I can't remember what he said his name was but there was a halfwit so a mentally retarded person that was there and he said the, excuse me the Lord spoke into his spirit at that moment and said you surrendered everything over to me right yes I did you said you would do and be whatever you wanted yes. me to do and be right yes I did he said I want you to go join yourself over there with that Salvation Army band in his mind he's thinking oh, oh wow. Lord I'm a prominent minister I've got a lot of important people in here. What are they going to think of me? It, for a split second, all this stuff's going through his mind, but then he remembered, I meant what I said over there. Right, right. So he joined them. So he joined and he thought, oh, I'm obeying the Lord and I'm doing it. And then the Lord said to him, now pick up a tambourine. Right. <laughs> Humiliating, right? So he picks up the tambourine with this retarded man and, and a hunchback, I think it was, and some yeah. haggardly looking lady who are out get, having a testimony meeting on a, on a street corner. Yes. So he picks up the tambourine and he has a little struggle there and he starts to, okay, Lord, I'll pick up. And he said, as he bends over to pick up the tambourine, he glances at the back of the retarded man's back and on the man's sweater, it says dead to public opinion. Right. And then he said at that moment, it just, it just kind of, it was the, the, the crush at that moment where he said, Lord, that's it. 
And it was like at that moment, it, it just all clicked and the Lord filled him with the spirit yeah. of God. Amen. And as you had t said before, how God used Billy Nicholson to stop war, you know, a revolution. Yeah. And um, this is what we're talking about, that anointed um, spirit filled qualified people to carry this vision because we got people we got bethel church and all this other stuff there's seven mountain mandate where they're gonna right. you know take back the culture and all and i i don't really have a problem with taking back the culture for christ in some respect but these people are lacking what we're talking about here and they and they they even recognize what we're talking about because they do this crazy demonic thing where they're grave soaking they're they're oh, finding wow. the graves of these anointed men and thinking that somehow the spirit oh. that was in them is going to get on them oh, that's crazy <laughs> the spirit that of god will be in you if you go the same route these men went so we do need spiritually qualified and anointed people yes we do you think about under wesley <clears throat> you know the lord saved england and the british isles from a bloody revolution like happened in, in france and as I mentioned about Billy Nicholson in, in Northern Ireland, the Lord used him to keep a revolution from coming to, to Northern Ireland. But the thing is, if God doesn't find the people to obey him and yield to him and, and just be all on the altar for him, sometimes the consequences are pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. So we need that kind of commitment, that kind of blessing from God in our own day. So, brother, before we move on to the next point, um, what was that book again you talked about that had those people that they found the secret by v raymond edmund you can find it on amazon i'm sure it's probably a good price but it's a it's a blessing a blessing and then there's another one it's like deeper experiences of famous christians by lawson, or something jay something else lawson gilchrist lawson i think okay it is huge a huge blessing check those out i think you can probably find those for free on google books and yeah. you can get a free preview so look those up now, also, we need to think about those anointed and qualified people uh, that are going to carry this God vision forward. Yeah. But then we also need, there needs to be teamwork and unity. So we think about Pentecost and its results. Yeah. How many people were in the upper room, brother? 120. 120. So was it just Peter that went out and shook the world? They were there. I'm sure there was a team. I'm sure everybody knew their role. Yeah. So there needs to be some kind of a teamwork. And you know what happened? I think it was... It, it was uh, Tozer, he said this. <clears throat> he said, if you were to take an orchestra and you were to first tune, say, the piano off the orchestra, uh, or maybe a tuning fork and the piano tunes off of that and it gets the piano yeah. all in tune, then next, the, the instrument, next instrument tunes off the piano. Then the next instrument tunes off that instrument and so okay. forth. It goes throughout the entire orchestra. He said, when you pull all that together and try and play a symphonic piece, he said, it'll sound like the most wretched piece of garbage <laughs> you would have ever heard in your life. But if there was one tuning fork, the piano tuned itself off the tuning fork, uh, the brass section, okay. the strings and all, they tuned off nice. the one tuning fork. What they make together would be beautiful. That's where we were talking about that spirit-filled, anointed and qualified yes. preachers. Yes. Then there can be unity without this flabby ecumenica, ecumenical movement. Right. It's, it's real because it's spirit-born unity. Do you yeah. have anything to, that you wanted to speak about there? Well, we need <clears throat> to have people that have kindred spirit, you know, and and... Paul had Timothy, and in different revival movements, you have people that may be the leaders, but people that are of a kindred spirit that yeah. may not be in the limelight, and you've got to be content. Not everybody's the quarterback, and the quarterback can't you know, do what he needs to do unless he's got a good offensive line. So you know, it, it's not about your position. It's not about your prominence. It's just about being you know, yielded to the Lord for what he wants you to do. Can you, you had told me a story about this a while ago, and I believe 
oh, I'm going to get this man's name right. He wrote the uh, the something about the throne, the the promise of throne room. White was his name. Mm-hmm. He's a Baptist fellow that had something to do with one of the major revivals, and he had been filled with the spirit. James Stewart? James Stewart. Stewart I'm sorry. Yeah. Stewart. That's Stewart, right. Yeah. Um, you had told me how he was praying that God would send him a partner to work yeah. with. You want to tell that story? They actually put out a little booklet about um, <clears throat> he was a stutterer or something. I forget the exact title, but I have it back at our church. But James uh, Stewart was a, a preacher, a deeper life Baptist preacher from Scotland, and uh, he was holding revivals, and he was just a young preacher, tremendous testimony. This is between the, the world wars. Yeah. And he was praying for a co-laborer, and the Lord brought to him a fellow named Herbert Brown, I believe it was, that had been a soldier for Britain in World War One. He was suffering <clears throat> all the effects of, of battle fatigue and, and stuff like that, and he had a horrible stutter. And uh, he told James Stewart after a service where he was in, he said, I, I feel like the Lord wants me to labor with you. And Brother Stewart was like, oh, my, you know, what am I going to do? But the more he prayed about it, he felt drawn to this fella, and they would team up, and they would just, I guess they lived together for a while, and they would just pray. They'd pray hours a day, and they'd hold street meetings. They'd go to conventions and to different stuff like that. And Brother Stewart was like, Herbert Brown almost never preached. And Herbert Brown actually, in times of weakness, would cry out to God and say, oh, God, God, God could, you, could you touch my stutter so I can preach? But... You know, God didn't do it, but he was just a tremendous prayer warrior, and he so blessed the ministry of James Stewart because he was willing just to be—he was willing to play second fiddle to the guy that was the lead. Yeah, and you had told me about there was some situation where they were out on a street corner, and a whole gang of atheists came up and were really upset about yeah. his preaching. You you want to finish that? I don't- I'm sorry, I forget all the details. It's been a while since I read that. But basically, I think the Lord used Brother Brown to stand up and put them in their place. When well, okay, so I remember this part. Um, you you had told me about this, and I think this was in this little pamphlet yeah, or something. Yeah. But he, this man had been praying after they, they the, the atheist said this one day when they're out in a street meeting, yeah. if you're back here tomorrow, we're basically going to pound your face in and you're going to be dead men. And so they went back and they prayed. And James Stewart, I guess he prayed for a little while, but yeah. he had some other things he had to do. Yeah. And the other man, uh, he prayed throughout the whole day. And he came to James Stewart and he said to him, you go ahead and preach. God's going to fight for you. Amen. It's going to be okay. So they go out and preach and the atheist, the gaggle of atheist yeah. guys come up and the, the ringleader comes up and is very angry and just about to send his fist into James yeah. Stewart's face. And supernaturally, his fist yeah. stopped in midair. It shocked the atheist yes, man. And then multitudes of those atheists were converted and some of them just went away. Yeah. But here we're talking about teamwork and unity. Absolutely. And you said it's unity of spirit. If you were to look at that man, the prayer man, the guy who went along with James Stewart, you probably wouldn't pick him out of a lineup to be a, par- a partner. No, absolutely not. But when we find someone that has the kindred spirit, and I'm, I'm saying this to myself, God help me Lord not help to pass someone over yeah. if you've got something in mind that I don't understand. Well, you think about that, you just think about the fact that, you know, <clears throat> he had to deny himself and he just, you know, there's a tremendous sacrifice. But when, when God finds people that are willing to do that, it's just a matter of we're an empty vessel. And if you're listening to this today, you know, you may not be a 10-talent person, but if you're a two-talent person that's holding nothing back from God, God God has a ministry for you. It may not be on a yeah. platform or behind a pulpit, but God has a ministry. In fact, to be honest with you, what we need probably more than anything else is people know how to pray, people who yeah. live for God, but they know the value and the power of prayer. Amen. And 
you had you had mentioned something here in the notes that um you know something like you know uh, uh, taking this akin to like a sports yeah. team you know everyone has their place i've, I've done this looking at military things too yeah. it's, it's been intriguing to me when i've looked at it and been like these special like seal team units or whatever yeah. everybody has a job and they never think they never have to think to themselves oh man i i hope this guy does no they're like no that guy's got that job this is my job this is my job we have one objective and when they when they fought like that they trusted their very lives in the hands of everyone else or for a sports yeah, team absolutely. they trust the outcome of the game in the hands of the other men because those men have a position and a place for in, inside of that greater objective you know, for me growing up, and I've mentioned before just playing a lot of sports, but in high school I was a fairly average soccer player on a very, very good team with a tremendous coach, and our coach knew how to mold everybody together. He beat you down, then he would bring you up, and everybody knew their role. They knew their role, and you were, in a sense, content because it was about the team. And, uh, you know, that's where we've got to get. We've got to get to a place where we just – we know what we can do, and the thing is, there's there's a comfort, there's a satisfaction on finding your niche in the things of God, yeah, and and not pining for the fact. Well, I want to be the big preacher, I want to be the singer, I want to be this, but just taking what you have and what you are, laying it down at the feet of Jesus, and just saying, Lord, I'm a I'm an empty vessel. Would you fill me? Amen. And you know, Amen. to me. I was a better baseball player. I had a little more notoriety as an individual in baseball. But the things I look back on, the thing, Brother Eric, that just that blesses me um, from from playing sports growing up was the success we had as a team. Yeah. More so than individual <clears throat> success in baseball because there's something about being part of something bigger than you. And I yeah. know it's just sports, and I know that – you know, it wasn't really hardly a Christian thing about it, but man, did God use that in my life to Thank teach God. me that, you know, just find your place, be part of something greater than yourself. As Christians, it's, it's being part of God's church and being a blessing wherever he places you and live for that victory that, you know, God's going to give on that day. You know, that's our goal okay. to promote the kingdom of God. So as we've been talking about, we have a vision. That's where it all starts. Yeah. We need spiritually qualified and anointed people to carry the vision out. And then those spiritually qualified and anointed people need to work together in a team. Next, we'll be talking about the methods of outreach, the the, the strategy of yes. this, these people, and then maybe some methods and tools for discipleship Amen. and how, how practically this work is going to get done. So until next time, you are to labor for his crown and for his cause get filled and maintain fullness and we'll see you in the next video amen lord bless you hey now that you've watched this first video don't stop now check out the next video up here or maybe you just want to go on a binge watch and look at this playlist